Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup, everyone. So each week we rendezvous and try to advance cannabis science. So lately we've been working with lab results, but I wanted to show you some of the what we can do by aggregating some of this data. So, so that's just what we'll do today. And I still have a dial or two to toggle. Um, so while I do that, perhaps we can just go around the group real quick because it's a meetup after all. Um, and just maybe if you want to share what's on your mind and any data science adventures you're in, want to do, are curious about or just anything at all. So feel free to share. So anywho, just in my top corner, Candace, what's on your mind today? Uh, working with data sets and it's all really great. I'm really impressed with the way uh, Coadoc uh, works and there's still more work, but uh, it's really great that I can be a part of it and help. So thank you. Exactly. And I probably should have clarified the name uh, by now. So it's, it is COA doc. Um, so a COA is a certificate of analysis. And that is what a laboratory issues essentially when cannabis gets sent off for quality control testing. And so this is an important part of the supply chain. Ultimately, was for consumer safety, right? So that was a big argument of why cannabis got legalized in the first place, um, right? Um, a lot of the programs started out as medicinal programs. So this was a step to, you know, I, I guess be pharmaceutically rigorous as far as cannabis is concerned. Um, so that'll come up today. But, um, but anywho, it's interesting because we get a good measure of the actual substance. So, right, people have always been talking about, right, how potent is cannabis? Well, thanks to the quality control testing, we actually get a pretty good measure of some of the constituents, the right, the chemical composition of the cannabis. And a pretty good portion, right? So just the flower alone, right? THC, we'll, we'll look at that today, but that could be around, right? 20% of the biomass. So, right, a fifth of the whole product. Um, and the rest is, you know, plant matter of this or the, that sort. And then the concentrates can get quite high percentages. So, you know, this is rich data and I, I think it's worth analyzing, right? Like, it, it's not like all your, uh, your corn and your apples at the store are going through, well, actually, I guess at some point they probably do go through a mass spec, um, but, uh, but so is your cannabis. So we may as well take advantage of that data. Um, but, but anywho, um, so we've got tons of these certificates. Um, so, so thanks for helping with this, Candace, and we'll get to this, this today. So before I drone on anymore, Grant, anything on your mind as far as cannabis data is concerned? Last week was, wait, I think I was there last week. Last week was really cool to hear that 
at least some of your ideas around using these COAs to kind of like almost group them, like with like cluster, you know, cluster strains based off all of the extra stuff that consumers aren't necessarily aware of immediately. I've actually been uh, talking to some friends when, when we've been, you know, just smoking recreationally that, you know, I show them the label and I'm like, this is all that we receive, but there's this whole, you know, ocean of, of data uh, and, and, and testing being done behind the scenes that we aren't even aware of. So, um, yeah, I, I'm honestly just really excited to, to keep, keep learning, keep soaking in the knowledge, um, and, and keep honestly also interested in, in just your code as well. I'm, I'm actually not as, as experienced with Python. I, I kind of, my, my coding experience was a bit of a weird, you know, like non-traditional self-learning path. So, um, always, always down to learn more about, about the code and the functionality of it. Well, th thank you for that. And great. Some of these compounds are non-negligible, right? Um, and so one of the things that's cropped up before and which is a minor note today is, you know, small things are quite important. And so these small compounds, it may only require a small amount to have an effect on the body. Um, and in particular, right, some of these terpenes, right, there's uh, here is a the terpene expert, but right there is like beta caryophylline, um, caryophylline oxide, and these are actually um, can be considered intoxicants. Um, and so some people argue that oh yeah, well if you're measuring THC and CBD, you should go ahead and measure beta caryophylline and caryophylline oxide since they're intoxicating as well. And I believe in Oklahoma they are. Um, and you know consumers might not take that into consideration and in fact if you even uh, start to query people at the retail or dispensary um, sometimes this can go over their heads so sometimes there are some quite educated folks um but but yeah anywho we're kind of at, you know at the the frontier so part of our job is to kind of package up these cool findings and deliver them back to the the public to, to you know to educate them and say hey uh did you know about this data that you can get your hands on it may be life transforming for you um so so that's kind of what we do but but too cool grant david tons of things uh to say about some of your work, but I'll let you, oh, wow. you know, speak for yourself. But anything going on in your world, or oh, yeah, a lot, a lot is going on in my world right now. My uh, the CEO of the company, um, he's a COVID long hauler, and he's leaving to take care of him, his health. So I'm now. Uh, gearing up to take over so things are a little hectic right now uh but a lot of interesting things are are going to be coming uh down the pipeline um and i'm just loving uh learning about what you're up to uh, and thinking about different ways that i can you know either help or uh come up with ideas where some of this stuff works with uh, what I'm doing. So, yeah, that's it. 
my wishes go out to the former CEO and my good wishes go to you to you know steer the ship well. So but the the future is bright. And so if you do need any help, there's a bunch of good cannabis data scientists here in the group. So feel free to to message them. Um if oh, that's you need any help. Yeah, thanks. But but, but anywho Feel free, feel free to share, you know, as you know, you some of your new uh, projects become public um, and you want and you want to talk about them. This is always a good platform for you. Um, but Hector, anything on your mind today? Um, there isn't anything particular on my mind. I'm working on a separate project that I uh, looked at last year and I'm making some headway in that and i want to soon jump into uh hugging face to to get that data from canalytics there i think that's what my next step is do some exploratory data analysis with that too cool and i'll show you a way that you can get a hold of some lab results perhaps even easier today so you know one of the reasons i showed you hugging face last week i was thinking about it and it does make things maybe a little bit more complex than reading in just a simple data file. I just sort of wanted to be an early adopter of the platform because it's a way to, you know, share and version control data. So hopefully the data may interest someone and who knows, maybe it'll be used in a machine learning model. At that point, there will be a greater demand to refine the data. So that's sort of the idea for putting it there is, hey, you know, maybe someone will use it in a model. Um, or perhaps someone just wants version controlled data. So it's there. Um, like I said, uh, we're, that's, that's one thing Camelitics do, does is, you know, we try out various technologies and you know, the ones that are successful will lean into, and we don't always lean into everything. Um, but I think that, like I said, I think this one's promising. It kind of depends on network effects. Um, I think the platform's young, so we'll see where things are in a year or two. But uh, for now, Canlytics is going to keep publishing data there, and we'll also publish it just on the main Canlytics website. So I'll share some of that with you today. So multiple sources. Thank you, Hector. And I'll have some information to share with you. If not today, then tune in next week because I found an exciting discovery in the COA data you shared. Um, and I think, well, that I think I, I wouldn't do it justice to potentially talk about it today about, because I'm already not going to get do the material I have today justice. Um, but that's almost why I'm sharing some of this with you, with you all, because, right, um, right, someone, I, well, I'm not, this is a good quote, I'm not comparing myself to Caesar, this, you're all Caesars, but uh, there used to be someone that would tap Caesar on his shoulder and just remind him, like, you know, you're mortal, right, so it's basically just saying, hey, you know, there's only so much time in the day. So you kind of have to prioritize. So 
there's only like so much time in the day that I can only get to so many of these hypotheses. So I figured, you know, if I share some of my hypotheses with you, maybe you'll have time to go and chase them down. And then likewise, I'd like to thank, you know, John and Candace um, and Hector for sharing hypotheses and ideas and data with me. Um, and, you know, I'll go and, and chase those down. So sort of a reciprocal, you know, win-win uh, group, ideally. But, but anywho, I'm rambling. John, I'll let you speak for a second. Anything on your mind today? Um, no, not so much. I mean, um, Keegan and Candace and I have been working on this COA data parsing algorithm platform. And um, I think we're going pretty quickly. Um, Keegan will probably be summarizing that. I don't know if that's on your agenda today or not, but if not in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it goes apace. We realize where the problems are. We're trying to get this as close to production as possible as quickly as we can. But I think that that's what is mostly on my mind. Well, I'm going to tie in some of um, the prior lab results we've looked at and then I'll, I'll maybe uh, save some of the, the thunder for you for the, you know, for the, for the raw gardens insights. Mm -hmm. um, but, but anywho, lab result parsing is, is on the hand. So I may go ahead and kick, kick off the um, recording here, unless was there a comment or question before we started? Yeah, Keegan, um, I am realizing that I'm actually not even totally sure, like, what the scope of canalytics is like is it like a for-profit business is it just more of like a like a like a data hub like i guess if you could just give me even just like a high level like what the scope of canalytics is and what what you guys are trying to do that'd be that'd be really nice absolutely fantastic question grant so canalytics is a for-profit business so i do actually put that on the hugging face website so you know hedge all the data that we provide as right i guess you know we're not like a, an entirely unbiased entity here um but the way i see it is um the unbiased entities would be right your your state governments um so if you just want the the raw then you know the best you can do is basically put a Freedom of Information Act request into certain states and get the data. Um, and so basically what Canalytics realized is that's not efficient. People need this data. Well, not need, but they, they're interested in it. They've got a demand for it. Because it has value, um, if it's you know cleaned up and analyzed right, and so that's what I realized my sort of comparative advantage was. So my, my background was working at a laboratory. And so we basically received lots of cannabis samples of all different varieties, tested them, and then issued certificates. So that's the part of the supply chain that I know best. It's an interesting perspective because I know a lot about the different sample types. The, their constituents, as well as how to structure the data 
in the, the lab result data is often some of the more complex data. And, and so that's often just valuable just to have well-structured laboratory data. And so basically, Canlytics set out to help out laboratories with laboratory information management systems, LINs. So that's a big ask, though, because in, I would even be the first to right? And so that's why I'm not a marketer, right? Because the first thing I would tell a laboratory is um, you want to be super careful about throwing out your current laboratory system, um, right? Because systems aren't just something you just, uh, right? If anyone ever tells you that you should just throw out your system the next day and start from scratch, like that's not someone who's giving you good advice. Um, because you know systems are you know delicate um and should, and should be approached so so long story short is we set out to help people improve their limbs so great so we meet people where they are and say okay what what you know what what are your pain points how can we improve let's try to write some technology what can we automate can we help you clean up your data so just start small um, so that's where we started helping out labs and then realized, well, there's a lot of people actually that want to wrangle or aggregate and understand their laboratory data. So the, the people growing their cannabis wouldn't mind understanding what they're growing. The people selling the cannabis wouldn't, under, wouldn't mind, you know, understanding a bit more about what they're selling. There's some savvy consumers out there that are interested in this data. And mm -hmm. so and there's even researchers like our, I, our good friend here, John, um, at the, the Dosing Project, the CESC, right? So research organizations. John actually runs a nonprofit. Um, where was I? So, um, oh, yes, people want the data, and we know how to clean it up and prepare it. So that's basically the Canalytics business model is we build data pipelines. We don't mind analyzing the data. So my background is in economics and statistics. So I, I'm a fan of that, but surprisingly, uh, there's not as big of demand for analytics as there is uh, raw data, I think. Um, be, because analytics are hard to value and i think people like to do their own analytics a lot right so um, like so for example if you see um an investor um they they'll probably uh right if they're on like the the train or a plane or something they'll probably have uh you know their laptop open and they'll be like fiddling in excel doing forecasts or whatnot so it's not like you can just go to an investor and say oh hey like can i do your forecast for you because those are probably like their pride and joy um even though i could i mean i mean just being humble right that's something i'm trained on so i can you know, do forecasting pretty well but you know if somebody wants to do it in excel they can do it in excel but they need the data and so we'll we'll give them the data Sweet, thank you. That, that was a long-winded answer, <laughs> but hopefully it, it was helpful because just for those interested, right? Um, and this is something Canlytics promotes um, that 
but I do think there's a demand for this. So, um, right, it's not like I'm going to be all of the supply. So a lot of times I'll talk about, you know, ways that, you know, you may be able to go out and, you know, spin up business opportunities. Um, and personally, what I would recommend is find a growing business entity in your locale, be a retailer, perhaps, you know, a cultivator. Um, consumers are, you know, it's tough to do a consumer facing app, but people try. Um, and yeah, um, you know, find a local business and, you know, see if you can't help them out. See, say, hey, you know, do you have a, you know, a bunch of data that you, you can maybe use, you, you can maybe organize. But, but anywho, um, and if you want to use Canlytics tools, you're welcome to. So, but anyhow, enough promoing about all that jazz. I'd love to show you the data. If, uh, if, if you're at all interested, uh, let me let me just make one last edit here and then we'll be off to the races. Um, so often think, and that's why I'm saying we're all, we're often kind of at the, the cutting edge here because it's almost like things are just coming right. They're basically just coming right out of the oven and I'm serving them straight up to you. So often when you're getting this data, it's still, you know, hot, you know, so there's, you know, so there's still may be some cleaning to be done. Moving through the year here, still someone said, you know, I think there's what, a hundred or so more days of the year left, um, not give or take a few. So we're moving down the home stretch so we've got some cool projects to be be putting together here and so what you may have noticed on the the whiteboard behind me are some of these distributions and so we keep talking about you know genetics and you know phenotypes and i thought well and maybe worthwhile to do a little homework on essentially artificial versus you know natural selection. And so the reason why is right cannabis, wild plant, but you know now it's you know predominantly just you know going through radical artificial selection. So that's probably something that we should understand you know, if we want to really understand what's happening in the long term with cannabis. So basically, um, sorry to just cram all this text in on you, but basically the, you know, the de here's a, a definition of, artifice, of artificial selection, right? And so you all probably know this, right? people just you know select certain phenotypes um and what's required though is there needs to be you know some sort of genetic variance in these phenotypes right if they're all the exact same then artificial selection is not going to work um and so basically you kind of need both of these factors right you need some sort of genetic variance 
and you need a selection mechanism. And basically, the two differences between artificial selection and natural selection is right the the selection mechanism is right is in the artificial case is, is humans right um you know in natural selection right the the classic example right is darwin's finches which i believe were on different islands so that so that sort of the selection mechanism is like the water um but anywho that's that's a big topic right so so just scraping the tip of the iceberg today but what's what's interesting here what interested me at least was this graph here because it's got distributions right and we were talking about statistics so this is sort of something that you know we understand so basically this would is basically three different types of selection and i think we can basically think of some examples in the cannabis industry and in fact i'm going to show you today all three examples uh well maybe not so much the second one um unless we were super creative but i'll at least show you um the one and three um, perhaps and right um, and right and with any scientific research right what are we even doing right we're basically asking questions then we go in you know collect data research uh, and I think it um, go collect data right maybe we'll have some you know methodology right so that way we can you know ideally do a right to speak with john right ideally you would do a um you know what what, what do you what's the official word for it john like the controlled randomized experiment um in the, you know that's that's the ideal um i often maybe i'm sort of your your taboo scientist or maybe maybe someone would even call me a scientist right because i'm trained as an economist and you know in economics you can't often do you know controlled randomized experiments and so you often just have to just make observations and just proceed under the assumption that there's bias and then you have to handle the bias the best you can um and then just just essentially uh, keep keep making observations so um and, and uh asking questions and seeing if your observations help answer your questions but anywho you all know about the scientific process and i'm probably doing a poor job of summarizing it but let's zoom in here so basically um in sorry for preaching to the choir if uh, this feels like demeaning um, if you know much more about biology than I um, right so I as I said I'm a trained economist so this is probably slightly embarrassing but um, anywho I think this these are topics you know worth worthwhile um, looking at and like I said so I may embarrass myself on the biology part 
but I'll at least make up for it by we'll at least demonstrate these with statistics and real data so we can at least make up for it that way. But long story short is we've got these three selection mechanisms. So this first one, you can think X is the trait in question. So in this case, think about say THC in cannabis. And then Y would be the count. So just the, the number, right? The population, right? It's basically the population. So, right, you basically have the population of cannabis. And this is what they say, right? Like, uh, the, you know, the famous quote, right? Like, today's weed's not your, your grandfather's weed or, or wherever the saying goes. And so they just from anecdotal and we would like to get empirical evidence the average THC used to be historically lower. People have historically selected for higher and higher THC. In some cases, we'll, we'll get to other cases. And you now, right, your, your distribution will, you know, shift. Perhaps there's a trait where you wouldn't want too much or you wouldn't want too little. Um, so that may be plant height or, um, right, you don't want your plants too short, you don't want your plants too tall, you want your plants just about right. Um, and so that, that would just put pressure towards you know narrowing your distribution if you're selecting you know towards you know an ideal average so this will be a trickier one but we can probably think of some examples here and then this this final one where you're selecting on either end of the distribution and we'll show you an example and so in the cannabis space think about the indica sativa dichotomy Right, so people may say, oh yes, right, there's just one cannabis sativa, everything's a hybrid. But arguably there's, you know, in, in what is X, right? So we would need some measure of indica sativa. So a little abstract, but we've kind of talked about how we can make that continuous. But anywho, you may have selective forces on either end of the distribution. And then, right, this could potentially, bloop, right, it could potentially lead to a split. Um, but, but at the moment, it's a singular population just with a, an odd distribution. Okay, um, so enough of that jazz. So that's just biology. Um, if you're particularly interested, the the topics that I'll be incorporating will basically be artificial versus natural selection. Genetic drift is, from my understanding, the change in the variation of cannabis over time. Um, so I think this is an interesting topic. Like I said, I don't understand too much about it yet, but I think it's worth researching because as we hinted on, 
artificial selection depends on variation. And so we want to understand, you know, if the variation in cannabis is changing over time. And what do we even mean by variation in cannabis? Well, I'd recommend to, if you're interested, essentially around the same time that, you know, cannabis really took off and people really started identifying THC. So this was like 1968 or so. And I think this must have been when people really started to get a good handle on measuring chemicals. People started to realize, oh, just because two plants look shockingly similar, they can have quite different chemical compositions. And that's essentially what you have in the cannabis plant is, you know, the plants, they're pretty similar, right? They, you know, they've got often seven leaves. Um, I mean, uh, seven pointed leaves. Um, they're green. They've got stalks, you know, they're, they're cannabis plants. Um, so they, you know, they may look similar, but they may have from plant to plant, they may have quite different chemical compositions. And if you're interested in a singular chemical, it would be a, technically a chemovar. But technically, what we're actually interested in are chemoforms, which are basically um, where we're concerned about the whole chemical composition. So we're, we're interested in, like, so for example, with John, right, the different ratios of terpenes. Quick note, a lot of cannabis cultivation is done through cloning. And you're going to have no genetic variation when you clone. So technically, you can't do artificial selection through cloning. Um, I assume, right, if you grow a bunch of plants, perhaps some may get more light than others. So maybe, I don't know if I'm using this word correctly, but perhaps, right, the the expression or um, their environmental factors will perhaps affect how how much say THC a plant may produce, but it's not going to be you know genetically different than another plant. So right, so of course environment's going to play a factor, but it's not going to change its genetics. So ultimately, you have to use seeds, I believe. If you want to, you know, change the genetics of a plant. And just quick side note is technically clones, so something I learned today are, you know, clones, I should have had a picture, clones don't have tap roots. And so I, apparently when you plant from a seed, you the plant will generate a tap root. And whereas when you you clone a plant, it will not. Um, so, so anywho, it just it makes me think that you know when you see you know pictures of these giant California California cannabis plants, I'm assuming they probably started from seed and just have a giant taproot. Um, but but anywho, I'm a biologist or a botanist probably knows much more than I. 
And then this brings us essentially to where we are today. Um, and what you know John's going to be helping us out with is, you know, now we're basically to modern day farming, where we, you know, now we sort of recognize that yes, right, these plants are rich with chemicals. They're different. We can artificially select them. And then once we find a satisfactory plant, then we can clone it to our heart's content and its genetics will remain stable. Um, and perhaps these can be used for pharmace pharmaceutical reasons. So we're basically, you know, using all of these tools from biology to, you know, help people out. So I'll get on to the data here, but basically I was just going to lay, lay out all the, I'm just going to lay out essentially uh, uh, five or so hypotheses, and then we're going to see if we can't, you know, start to answer these with the data that we have. So essentially, uh, we'd like to thank Candice real quick. So Candice helped us find all these cannabis strains. And so essentially, right, so we have lab tests for these, right? So we have lab tests for Gorilla Glue. We have lab tests for Wedding Cake. We have lab tests for Tangy. And I was um, not in poor taste, but uh, just as a, a comparison, right? There's, we, you know, there's all this talk about uh, who, how could you miss it, right? There is all this talk about, um, uh, right, virus strains, right? And, you know, tracking down, right, like the, right, the first, you know, occurrence of a particular strain. And so basically, I was, you know, could we potentially apply that same strategy to the cannabis industry? And so say, hey, you know, we're, this may not be the, the actual source, but could we, you know, find, and I may have misspelled occurrence, I was moving quickly here, but, um, but can we, you know, find, you know, the first occurrence of a particular cannabis strain? So like, where is, you know, the first observed tangy? And so this is going to be a project that we can answer. We're not, like I said, we can't answer it perfectly, because someone may come out with better data than we have and prove us wrong. But that's what the scientific process is all about, right? We, we put forth our best, uh, our best data and somebody may, you know, come and prove us wrong. But basically, you know, let's try to find new strains and then see where they first cropped up. So for example, right, we've got, California, Massachusetts, Michigan, and soon we'll add Washington, right? It would be nice to have Colorado and all the other states too, but we'll work with what we have. And let's see if we can't find the first occurrence of particular strains. Um, I'm trying to think of some new ones. Um, uh, feel free to shout out some strain names if you want. Um, I feel like wedding cake's relatively new, but um, what are some new strains? Um, uh, 
I don't uh, trying to think of new popular strains. Um, yeah. um, okay. Uh, I, okay, it's the only one that really catches my... Uh, <laughs> okay, there's a strain name that begins with Cheetah. Um, I'll look. I'll let you look it up uh, your, yourself. Uh, but but so there's a cheetah strain, um, and uh, I assume it originated in California. But you know this is a relatively modern strain, um, and so we could probably hunt hunt down the cheetah and maybe try to put a date on it. So when was like the first date that this got tested in say California? Um, and then that would sort of be the emergence emergence of that new stream. Um, but but long story short is um, my hypotheses are um, you, you know can you know can we find you know the date the stream arise? Can we find the state or producer uh, that or that produced it? Um, right, people are right pretty proud of their genetics. Um, so it'd be interesting if we could, you know, find right the first producer of a particular genetic and say, hey, right, the, as far as we know, they're the first ones who who got this one lab tested. Um, and then you know, this is sort of a controversial topic. Um, I don't really know the rules on it. Right, some people will say that. You know, seeds are essentially right. They don't contain THC. They're they're hemp. They're essentially hemp. And then others will say, you know, seeds are, you know, the starting point of cultivation. I think there was some guidance on this recently. I I need to read up on my regulations. But you know, it'd be interesting to see. You know, do these strains you know spread from state to state? And you know what's the time time of period of them? Um, so, for example, Gorilla Glue is not going to be a good example because it's been around for many years at this point. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of strain names, but Galactic Jack or something. But I'll let you do a hunt. But but this I think would be a, a fun analysis. Would basically be to try to find popular strains and you know find when they they first originated. While we're at it, we could see, you know, is there any variation region by region? And then I was starting to then think that, well, and John got my mind thinking about this the other day because uh, basically the point came up that the concentrates in California seem quite variable. And it's starting to make me think that I wonder if, you know, more cannabis is started from seed in California versus, say, Massachusetts or Michigan, right? One would assume that they're probably doing a lot of cloning in Massachusetts, whereas, you know, sunny California, um, I, you know, maybe people have, you know, greenhouses and are planting a bunch from seed. Maybe they still put clones in the greenhouses, but 
it's worth studying. Um, so my, like I said, we're, we're just asking questions at this point. But my hypothesis is more, more cannabis has started from seed in California. Thus, my sub-hypothesis is because more cannabis has started from seed in California, there's essentially more artificial selection going on in California because they have the genetic variation that's needed for artificial selection. And just as um, a, a, just a just a odd consequence of that is maybe concentrates are sort of more because we've been looking at concentrates that have terpenes in them and they've been sort of all over the map. And it's maybe maybe just in California, you, if you're using if you say you're processing outdoor cannabis, there may be more variation than if you're processing just uh, a bunch of clones. But that, like I said, this may be pretty obvious to, to all of you, but, but these are my hypotheses. Does anyone want to, to mention anything? But I know I've been droning on for a long time. So plant a seed, never know what may grow. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and get to the data since, since this is the, the fun part after all. So this may take a hot second here. So let me just go ahead and get this code running and I'll tell you about it here. So over the summer, Candace and I compiled north of 50,000 lab results. And this is uh, where I, you know, Grant, I was talking about at the beginning, you know, you know what does Canalytics do? So originally, you know, we sort of had these, um, the, well, the, they were, we were keeping them private at first for essentially, you know, donating members and just saying, hey, you know, if, you know, you want to, to donate to Canlytics, we'll get all this data into your hands. And basically that's part of our business model is we, you know, give early releases to, to donators. Um, and now, you know, now we'll make this this data public. Um, and so, what do we have here? And as I said, there's still some cleaning to be done, and more data to be collected. But, well, what do we have? So we've got tons of data, we've got lab results, and we collected these July 15th. So, like I said, if if you donate, right? Um, for this one, we were we were just asking for for four twenty, um, you know, four dollars and twenty cents. But for now, you can now get these data at this URL, canlytics.page.link forward slash tests. And I'll keep updating this data set, and I'll add the date each time I do. Um, um, so that way, you can check periodically here. I'll version control this on hugging face. That way all the versions are locked down, but you can get the, the most recent data set by pinging this URL. And essentially we're going to start collecting data from every state that we can get our pause onto cannabis lab results. And why are we doing this? Well, there's 
been a demand for this. So, for example, Michael Kahn, the I believe the owner, perhaps scientific director, I want to say owner of MCR Labs, said, hey, there's no real national database of lab results. There's no real way to know a national average on some of these compounds. And that would be quite helpful to laboratories because you it'd be helpful to know where you stand compared to you know other states just you know just to know if you're measuring correctly um right so if you're measuring a given terpene alpha pinene and you're only measuring minuscule amounts and they're measuring substantial amounts in california perhaps that's just a difference in the flower perhaps there's something structurally wrong with your terpene method. So that's something that laboratories are interested in. So as I was saying, potentially, like I said, laboratories are big fish, but potentially if you're a bit of a whiz here, right, you can figure out ways that laboratories could potentially optimize their methods by looking at their historic data. And, you know, just from experience working with laboratories, Right, this data is often coming off the scientific instrument so quickly that the laboratories are doing their best they can just to capture all of the data and get like they're doing everything they can just to get it and get it organized. That they often don't have time to do statistics, um, and they all want to. So, you know, like I said, some of the more savvy labs are getting to it. But uh, there's a lot of labs that could really, really use some help. Uh, just what they call trending analytes, looking at analyte concentrations over time. So we can maybe get to that in the coming week. Um, but anywho, we've got almost, we've got a little more than 6,500 results from California. We have likewise a little more than 6,500 results closer to 7,000 results from Massachusetts, not quite though. And then we have quite the number of historic lab results from Michigan. However, these results unfortunately stop at the end of 2021. So we're going to need to think of a new source for Michigan data, but we do have a good amount of historic data. And you know, rule number one is never throw away data. So, so we have it with us. Um, but the two streams that are current and that we can get, you know, to this date will be California and Massachusetts. So, you know, today we can, you know, spend a bit of time and look at these. Um, and so let's do just that. I've been, you know, rambling for so long just to, to show off, you know, what's Canlytics doing. You know, I said we're building data pipelines. Well, this is one of the data pipelines that we've built. So Candace has been a big help. COA doc, we were talking about at the beginning. So this is a Python module that's part of the Python package, Canlytics. So you can install Canlytics yourself. You know, if you're a Python aficionado, you'll know about pip. So pip install Canlytics and you'll be off to the races. And the idea is 
often data is in the data we want is in the certificate. I often say the laboratories are basically providing two products. They're providing the certificate itself, which is saying, hey, this product got tested. Here's the signature of our scientific director or our laboratory manager. They, they're, you know, they're saying these, um, uh, these, these results are valid. These results are official. That's fine and dandy. The producer and the retailer, they need the certificate. But the other product is the actual lab result data. So just all the data that's on a certificate, um, right? So let me write, uh, instead of just hand waving here, um, um, hopefully we've got some PDFs laying around. Here's just one, right? Right, so here's just your typical COA. And this is and this is what I was saying is this is what laboratories are in business of doing. And the savvy laboratory managers and directors and owners you talk to understand this. Um, and for some people, it's helpful to conceptualize it like this um, because it boy it's hard to conceptualize sometimes what a laboratory is in the business of. Um, and as I say, they're in the business of doing scientific analyses. This is their service, right? It's like if you take your car in, right, they're going to perform various services. So so this is their moneymaker, right? They've got scientists there. They've got chemists. They've got microbiologists. They've got you know, a nice, a nice team there. Um, hey, Kagan. Yes, question? I'm sorry. Yeah, I just was wondering, I know with things like uh, concentrates, sometimes the THC and CBD are extracted from the plant, and then the, the terpenes are sort of added after the fact. So do you... Um, consider the difference between the terpenes that have been added after the fact to a, a concentrate versus the naturally occurring terpenes and their their uh, proportions? You raise a fantastic point, and this may even lead heavily into next week because it's not just terpenes. Mm. You can add cannabinoids. Right, mm -hmm. um, and and can you actually is the question. So in different states, right, this is essentially what you've brought up is coming up, um, and right, this is cannabis industry's relatively new framework rules being set in place. So, for example, you know, Canlytics uh, is based in Olympia, Washington, and in Washington, they're quite strict about what you can and can't add to products. I don't think you, you may or may not be able to add cannabinoid. Like I said, I don't even know, actually, I'll need to check the regulations. But from my understanding, it's maybe a little harder in Washington. Um, but check the rules. Um, and like you said, um, so this one's in California. And from my understanding, it's 
like I said, check the rule book. Um, but from my understanding, you're allowed to process and add cannabinoids and terpenes into the product. And I don't think we would necessarily know um, from looking at the certificate. Um, we would just see these constituents. What I would look out for, though, is uh, would be essentially the the residual solvents. And we've talked about this before. How it looks like, oh, you know, at, and it's not uh, like we said, it may not necessarily be the end of the world because, in fact, I was just hearing the other day that you know many products are extracted with solvents. So I was hearing that, right? Your your typical I was think I was hearing perhaps uh, solvents may be used maybe in the decaffeination process, and you know there's various goods that use solvents, but um, but that I think would be the thing to look out for with additives is if somebody's adding terpenes, then they're going to be adding uh, a terp a terpene concentrate that was concentrated somehow likely through a solvent so so that's why you know it's important to the, the the products go through you know residual solvent analysis because right so if they did add terpenes right you wouldn't want ter, you know terpenes that were extracted like you know with a, a heavy amount of solvent and not purged if, does that make sense like i don't think i answered your question very well I don't know. That makes sense. But long, it's a it's a fabulous question um, because I think it's it's on people's mind, right? In fact, that was uh, right. There was the that was uh, um, right in the news, right? There was the, right the the vitamin E acetate, which uh, was an additive to vape cartridges. Um, and so I think yeah. It also might. I'm just wondering whether if I'm adding a terpene and it's a terpene concentrate versus the terpene is showing up naturally, whether several terpenes maybe um, would naturally kind of uh, there might be one dominant one, but two others that are that are always going to cluster with that, and then if you're having some samples that are just coming in using the dominant terpene as a concentrate, those other two terpenes will drop out of the mix. So it would, you know, if you're looking at the, the ratio or the relationships between terpenes, that would throw things off a little. In fact... And it does. And that's the hallmark of... Uh, processed against botanical. You go away from your grammar rules. So excellent and astute observation there. Thanks. And thank you for chiming in, John, because I was thinking that you would be the perfect one to answer this question. Unfortunately, I have a hard stop at 2.30, so I'm okay. going to drop now. So Okay. Well, I'll We'll save this for next time, John, but I'll be wrapping up and we'll let you speak to this next time um, because I think you'd be the perfect one. But, but real quick, even just to, I'll do my, my best to, to explain. So long story short is that's actually a pertinent question, right? Is, is this ratio here, okay, this 6.93 
to um, and in fact we may even be able to um, answer this question for you real quick right and that's what we're kind of about here at the group right so is this ratio normal right so we've got you know this about seven percent to 86 percent uh ratio of say terpenes to cannabinoids or maybe maybe it make more sense to do cannabinoids to terpenes so it's about 12 to it's about 12 to 1 cannabinoids to terpenes and so the question is is that sort of what you would expect in flour so if you just concentrated flour down a lot is that like the ratio you would expect in flour or you know perhaps perhaps not and i think this may be what john was alluding to is you know the idea is maybe they are you know adding terpenes back in and the final composition may not quite be reflecting what you know a flower uh, profile may look like or maybe it is um, and so that's kind of what we would like to look at um so it's you know are these you know concentrations you know or are they still in the same relative proportion that you would see in cannabis? Um, and in fact, I think we may even be able to roughly do that analysis for you real quick. I'm just going to isolate out just all the California flower. So of the 6,500 samples, about 3,000 are flower. Um, and so we could actually look at I think we've got the total of cannabinoids. And then we hopefully also have the total terpenes. You could basically look at, oh, what's you know the average terpene in your flower? What's your average cannabinoid in your California flower? And then you could actually do this ratio here. So you could say, oh, what's the ratio of cannabinoids to terpenes in California? Oh, check that out um that's awesome right so the concentrate was 12.4 to one cannabinoids to terpenes and then if you look at the state average you sure enough get about 12.4 cannabinoids to terpenes in your flower so honestly if I had to make a hypothesis at this stage, I would say that this is just pure concentrated cannabis with no terpenes added. Um, but uh, but uh, the jury's still out. God is in the mean. And while the variance of the concentrates may be all over the place with this large number, the mean tends to run towards the center, looking like concentrated flour. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, so that, thank you for asking that question. So I think that's going to, like I said, that was the roughest stab we could possibly take. Yeah. Um, we just looked at just the just the simple mean. So I think there's more to be done there. But in fact, I spoke with a uh, to speaking of terpene additives, somebody who was a terpene distributor in Oregon, and that's what they took great pride in, was that their terpene concentrations 
were similar in a composition to the actual flower. So this is actually grounds for further research. So I just did it at the, uh, the aggregate scale, cannabinoids to terpenes, but I would encourage you all to look at the other terpene concentrations in uh, flower versus concentrate. So this may not be the best example, but if you could say find gaviota flower, um, then that may be that that may be interesting. I've run much over time, so I'll just go ahead and show you a few plots, um, and then uh, set you off with the data for next week. But basically, right, we're here to answer questions, and so Michael Kahn wanted to know how does MCR Labs compare in their cannabinoid distribution to the national average? And we don't have the national average, but we can at least compare them to California. And if you say, just look at flower here, right? You see concentrates around 80%. Um, let's see, did I have any observations? Oh, it looks to me like the concentrates maybe, right? I don't know if you really call that artificial selection or not, but it looks like that maybe sort of the same dish, right? The concentrate distribution looks the most similar to the second graph we looked at, where the mean looks about the same, but one distribution is taller than the other. And then the flower distribution looks like the first distribution we looked at where it looks like there's selective pressure towards higher THC. And so there's a couple things that could be happening, right? One, they could just be fundamentally testing cannabis differently in California than they are in Massachusetts. I need to double check to see if Massachusetts is reporting in dry weight or wet weight, which is a big difference. Um, that can be almost a 15% difference. Um, um, in fact, what is 24.5 minus? Um, so if it's around 15%, yeah. So it, there's a good chance that Massachusetts is just in wet weight. So that's a possibility. Um, so like I said, and that's sort of the Pro, I think the scientific, the data scientific process is we've got our hypothesis and we basically kind of have to collect data. Ideally, we would have a model. Um, in this case, I haven't thought of a, an applicable model yet. I still have to go research bio. I still have to go redo my biology homework. Um, but get data, see if that answers our question, you know, rinse and repeat. And so I don't think this fully answers our question. It maybe raises more questions, but it's an observation that perhaps there is artificial selection happening in California, not Massachusetts. And like I said, my hypothesis for why that may be the case is everyone in Massachusetts may be using clones 
in California, you're actually getting genetic variation. So you're actually able to select for more potent and potent cannabis. Um, like I said, we don't want to draw too many conclusions from looking at one graph. Um, but uh, it's a start. Let's let's get the Michigan data, the Washington data, really all the lab results that we can get our paws on. Um, and just to show you real quick, I know I've taken up way too much of your time, but I showed so much text at the beginning that I want to at least get you three good graphs here if it's not going to take too much time to read in all this data. But real quick, I wanted to show you this final distribution, right? I promised you the, the three different distributions. And so here we have two of them. Number one, selective in one direction. Two, perhaps selective towards the middle. People want consistent concentrates. And then three, the bi-directional selection. Um, and once again, keep in mind, this is concentrates, so it's not perfect, but it kind of lines up with anecdotal evidence. And so this is CBDA on the y-axis and THCA on the x-axis. And this is what's called type one, would be the cannabis that's hugs the x-axis um, and that's the high thc cannabis type two would be all these oddballs in the middle that are you know about half and half half thc or about one to one um, and then the type three is the heavy cbd cannabis. And keep in mind, the ones way up here are going to be concentrates. Um, but right, we've looked at hemp data and, you know, CBD rich chemovars can, you know, test, right, we've seen a high CBD, right? Like we, I want to say like 15 to 18%. Um, but the, those were outliers. Um, you know, five to seven percent, but but anywho, those are sort of bi-directional forces on the actual plant itself, where some people just want to grow CBD-rich cannabis, and some people want to grow THC-rich cannabis. It's still cannabis, but you've got bi-directional selection. So that's sort of the, you know, the, the the spiel for today and i was eating grapes earlier today and i um i kept a, a seed um and so that was sort of what i started to think right is you know plant a seed right you never know what may grow so that's my spiel for today and all the hypotheses i know i spent a lot of your time so hopefully you found this worthwhile there's going to be a lot more chemical analysis coming in the next week. And so next week, Hector, I've got a treat for you, analyzing some of your COA data. And then hopefully John will have some, some treats to share with, with you all about the concentrate data and the terpenes. Any thoughts, comments, questions until next week? Keegan, do you have any uh, like quick resources on just 
like the like the library that looks like you guys made like the canalytics library uh, or package i should say um and just like generally like a quick example of how to connect to you to that data stream you were just mentioning yes so i'm going to give you two links the if you're a programmer i would recommend checking out the github so github.com forward slash canalytics forward slash canalytics and we try to follow the donald newth approach of having our documentation in with our programming code so hopefully everything is self-discoverable so you can hopefully read through and hopefully everything's fairly well documented if not let me know and we'll work on the documentation and then of course you know for just general users um there's also docs.canalytics.com i'm working on updating the documentation actually that's actually actually that's literally on my agenda for as soon as we get off the talk um it's outdated it's not bad it's a good reference but it is outdated so so those are two good resources for you and email me and um check out the the slack channel i'm not sure if i've gotten you um an invite to the slack channel yet but i'll try to get you on board there until next week you know feel free to be in touch and think of any cannabis data or research that you're interested in or may want to share yourself because right i you know talk a lot a lot about canalytics but the cannabis data science group is a place for everyone right so this is right a place where anyone's welcome to come and share their research so if you have anything you ever want to share any projects um, you're always welcome to you know feel free to share any questions we've had people in the past uh, point us in the direction of data sets they want us to wrangle and we wrangle them and analyze them the best we can so this group is for fun um, and then, like I said, check out Canalytics if you really, really want to get serious about things. Until next week, I want to thank you all for coming, right? You're the ones who make this happen. So I may be rambling on and on, but it wouldn't happen without your ears, your eyeballs, your attention. So thank you. Keep, your, keep doing your part in advancing cannabis science. Feel free to be in touch. And... Let's rendezvous next week. And I've got some cool things I'll hopefully share with you in the meantime. And as I said, next week uh, is going to be an exciting one. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, so, uh, so yes, so we'll get to that. So until then, go enjoy your day, everyone. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for advancing cannabis science.